Brian McClanahan Show, episode 413. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours. Truly, you can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, 10 Myths of American History, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. You can also support the show by clicking on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcasts going. Get your book book plate there, excuse me, your book plate. If you want my autograph on one of my books, I've got a lot of those too. My latest is Southern Scribblings. came out, well, it's almost been a year now. Uh, and uh, 60 Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. I'll have some other things coming out this year. So if you want my autograph on those as well, you're going to want to get your book plate. So, of course, you could get any of my other books, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, My Pig to the Founding Fathers, My Pig to Real American Heroes, My uh, Founding Father's Guide to the Constitution, Forgotten Conservatives in American History, all kinds of great stuff out there. So if you got one of my books and you want an autograph, get a book plate. You can also click on that shop tab. You can get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And, of course, share this podcast around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Uh, it's the best way to grow the audience. And I do appreciate it. If you want to hear something, send it my way so I can contemplate your question and your request. I do read all of your requests. I may not respond, but I do read them. So do it, right? Send me something. Send me an email. Let me know what you're, what you're thinking and what you want to hear. All right. Well, this particular episode... And the next couple of episodes, um, I want to talk about the mainstream conservatism. And I want to do this because there's a perception now in American politics that we've gotten to a point where we have uh, this battle within the Republican Party. For the soul of the Republican Party, who are the real Republicans? Are they the Trumpers? Are they the moderates? Who are, is it Mitt Romney or Donald Trump? I mean, do we want to support John McCain, Mitt Romney, uh, Susan Collins, uh, Lisa Murkowski? Are we we supporting these Republicans? Are we going after Josh Hawley and Donald Trump? I mean, we have this civil war brewing in the Republican Party. When you have uh, Schiff... Adam Schiff standing up and saying, you know what we really need? We really need a good Republican Party. Joe Biden saying, we really need a good, robust Republican Party. What they really want is the moderate wing of the Republican Party to take over because they know that the moderate wing of the Republican Party is going to offer no opposition whatsoever. Certainly, they'll run around saying things. Look, John McCain, before he died, when uh, the Congress passed the Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act legislation. Oh, we're going to fight this thing in the courts. We're going to fight, 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 fight. And then, of course, the Republicans take control. You've got a Republican president. You've got a Republican-dominated Congress and nothing. 
And that's because the moderate Republicans, the Romneyites, the McCainites, the Murkowskis, the Collinses, uh, the Ben Sasses, all of these people that are in the moderate conservative ink don't really want to undo any of this stuff. I mean, look, this is the old story. The Republicans are, are simply not interested in undoing the welfare state. They enjoy it. In fact, when you look at Thomas Dewey, go all the way back to the 1940s, and uh, you look at the 1948 election, Dewey against, against Truman, right? And Dewey's way ahead, right? Why even hold the election, the, the, the political cartoon said. And what did they start doing? Well, they started bashing Dewey as a hard right-winger who wanted to undo the entire New Deal. And, of course, Dewey didn't want to do that. He wasn't interested in that at all. He just thought the New Deal went a little bit too far. We just need to rein it in, trim it a little bit. But we like the New Deal. That's the sad thing. The Republicans don't understand the Democrats are playing a whole different ballgame than they are. And the Republicans can't win at that particular ballgame. There's no way to do it. So this is dynamic conservatism of... Dwight Eisenhower, this is compassionate conservatism of George W. Bush. This is all it is. So do we want that, or do we want somebody who's going to go out and fight, even if they don't get anything done? Look, I mean, Donald Trump, in so many ways, was a disaster. Policy-wise, the, the, there's, no, there's no restraint, fiscal restraint. Uh, I mean, he, he talked a good game on several things, but not much happened. And that's because of the establishment and the inertia of the bureaucracy. I think in so many ways. But I want to talk about this piece that Paul Gottfried wrote in Chronicles Magazine, the most recent issue of Chronicles, which is the February 2021 issue. I want to talk about this particular piece. It's entitled The Late Coming Left. And this is important, right? I'm going to, the next episode, we're going to get into a piece that was published at Politico about Biden and the Biden Republicans. But because of time constraints, I don't want to do both in one episode. So we're going to do this one in this episode because I think it sets something up for that particular piece. And I'll be writing something along these lines in the, I think it's the April edition of Chronicle Magazine. I don't know, Chronicles, I don't know which episode is going to, or which, which uh, I'm sorry, issue it's going to be out in. But I've written it already. It's, they've got it. And it's going to be along these lines and it's something I'm very critical of that the conservative ink likes to do. Now, I call these people the social justice conservatives because that's what they are. They're just a more moderate version of the left. And the sad thing is, it's almost what happens with the South. What they really want is the left to like them. This is why when Lauren Boebert gets on social media and just enrages the left, she doesn't care if they like her. It's refreshing. Donald Trump did not care if the left liked him or not. He didn't care. And essentially, that's, what, that's the attitude conservatives should, frankly, be adopting. We don't care. Or a conservative doesn't care if you like them or not. Because by trying to get them to like you, you're going to have to adopt some of their nonsense. And a lot of this, what they're doing now, is just absolute nonsense. It's clown world. It's stupid. Clown world stupidity. And so what the, what the conservative, the social justice conservatives do, is just go a little bit less than the one side, right? They they want $15 a minimum $15 an hour minimum wage. We'll give them 14.25. Well, who won? The people that want a higher minimum wage. They won instead of just saying no, zero. The, the minimum wage we want is zero. 
So anything higher than zero, we're not going to vote on. We're not going to agree to it. But you see, the conservatives are afraid that the propaganda from the left will outdo them. And in many cases, they're, they're right about that. I mean, look, you're against the minimum wage. Well, what do you want? You want people to starve? How you feed a family of four on $7.25 an hour? How many people working minimum wage jobs are actually feeding a family of four? I'm sure there's some out there, but they also are going to get subsidies through earned income credits, taxes, and all kinds of things. They might be on some other government services. So they're not really just getting a minimum wage. There's going to be some other things going on. That's hard, but of course that's an incentive to try to get off of that and maybe try to go find... Uh, go get some skills and try to go do something else. Uh, but the, the question always comes down to that. Would would somebody that's making $7.25 an hour now and you give them $15 an hour, is the service going to be? If I go to McDonald's, am I going to get my food hotter, faster, and better? Is customer service going to be better if we pay them, if we double their, their salary? No, it's not. Except that two for $4 menu is now going to be two for $8. I mean, that's exactly what's going to happen. So this is the conservative ink. This is what they do. They they simply go along with what the left wants, just a little bit softer. And I think Paul Gottfried does a nice job of explaining that in this particular essay. And it's entitled, The Late Coming Left, so I want to read this. He says, For years I've been listening to the hot air produced by Conservative Inc. about the political conservatism of Martin Luther King Jr., who was dedicated to self-government based on absolute truth and moral law. Supposedly, King was also a proud member of the GOP. This last claim is not even remotely true, as Alveda King, MLK's niece and a fan of Donald Trump, revealed to Newsmax in 2013. The closest to a show of bipartisanship from King came when he condemned both parties for being too reactionary, the Democrats for harboring segregationists and Northern Republicans for promoting grasping capitalists. This Look, King flirted with communism. There's no way that King was any way, shape, or form a conservative. Now, I had not read this piece when I wrote mine for Chronicles, but I talk about King in that piece, too, just briefly for a second. Also, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who now conservatives run around saying is, is a conservative. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Frederick Douglass, these are all conservatives. These people weren't conservatives. Nobody would confuse them for conservatives in their lifetime. But now conservatives say they're conservatives. So think about that. A radical leftist from the, eight, from the 1840s, 1850s, is now a conservative. Well, what does that mean? Now, you could say the same thing because I've talked about the conservatism of Thomas Jefferson. And I would recognize that Jefferson was a reformer for his time, but there are certain tenets of Jeffersonianism that apply to conservatives. Most importantly, Jefferson's steadfast belief in federalism. He was a federalist to his core. He might have been a reformer in Virginia, but it stopped there. And I wrote an essay about this, uh, We Are All Jeffersonians, and how important that to understand that is. So Godfrey continues, the only reason one might attribute to King other ideas is that conservative foundations have played dishonestly with the facts of his life. Although it would be unfair to deny that King was heroic, often fought unjust situations, and held more conservative views on homosexuality than most of the present leadership of the conservative movement, he was an easily recognizable member of the left. King's transmorphication into a hero of the right is driven by an obvious strategy, which is trying to claim the moderate or early civil rights movement for what today characterizes itself as conservatism. This is important. 
So what they've done, I mean, this is what I said, a, a radical from the 1850s is now a conservative. Lincoln, who was a, ra- I mean, considered to be a on the radical side of things, is now a conservative. His view of the Declaration, which wasn't even accepted by the founding generation, the people that wrote it and signed, scribbled their names on it, is now somehow founding, conservative. It's just ridiculously stupid. But this is where we are. According to this narrative, the Civil Rights Movement was a noble enterprise that was led by principled conservatives, but then derailed by bad actors like today's Congressional squad led by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. These conservatives seem to think that if the civil rights cause had declared victory before its current day advocates called for tearing down statues, that is, those of Lincoln, but not those of Lee, trying to get universities to remove investments from Israel or demanding reparations for blacks, everything would have been nicer. This, of course, is all wishful thinking, because as historian of the Spanish Civil War, Stanley G. Payne observes, Revolutions in modern democracies take place by degrees. They're a process, not a single event. And they require enablers to march forward. That's important. They require... They re- Look, so in the French Revolution, and I've talked about the French Revolution. How did the French Revolution happen? Well, because you had enablers. You had... And this is... You know, I remember you know, having wonderful seminars with this with the great French historian Owen Connolly, who wrote a wonderful book on the French. If you want to get a non-Marxist history of the French Revolution, go look up Owen Connolly, French Revolution. And his textbook is fantastic. It is one of the only non-Marxist textbooks you can find on the French Revolution. He was a one-man crusade fighting the Marxists who dominate the histories of the French Revolution. He also wrote a really good book on Napoleon, Blundering to Glory. Uh, so he was the American revolutionary Napoleon, Napoleonic scholar, and going to seminars with him was just fantastic when he would get on the French Revolution. And he talks a lot about this. Look, the aristocrats, the nobility, were leading the French Revolution. They were, they were setting themselves up for the guillotine. We all know this is happening with conservatives, with the social justice conservatives. The left wouldn't think twice about taking them out. Now, I mean, not literally, because we're, we're beyond that now. I don't know. The, vi- the left gets very violent at times. Death threats and other things. But the left wouldn't think twice. I mean, look, when Rush Limbaugh goes down, people are celebrating like uh, you know the king just died. And Limbaugh would shade into this social justice conservatism a lot. He would agree with the Straussians on... Uh, things like the Declaration, the founding. Well, the founding was this. The founding was Abraham Lincoln's founding. That's not true at all. I was listening to that, uh, you know, the, the replays. That right now, if you put on that time slot, they're doing a lot of replays with Rush Limbaugh. And um, they were doing, a, back in June, he did an interview with some people on the left. And he's, a, I mean, he's, he's apologizing to them over and over again. Why? Why? Because he's scared. He's scared of what the left was is going. I mean, he, he had been he had been called all kinds of names, but this was different. What was happening in June and of last year, the, the the hot red hot summer, and what was going on in cities around America was different. And Limbaugh knew it, and so he was trying to. I guess he's saying in his mind, trying to find common ground in all of this, trying to understand the other side. They don't want to understand our side. They want you to go to their side. And this is what the conservative Inc. is trying to do, but it will be unsuccessful. It'll be unsuccessful because you can't appeal to them. 
They're in a whole different ball game, a whole different field. They're playing by entirely different rules, and they will crush the opposition. That is their objective. Their objective is not reconciliation. Their objective is victory. To them, and this is where the left is politically astute, and the right is just a bunch of bumbling idiots. He continues, they are a process, not a single event, and they require enablers to march forward. As I said, one may sympathize with a particular grievance that played a prominent role in launching a continuing revolution. But that does not exhaust a revolution's energy or keep it from becoming more radical. Forcing French peasants to perform labor service for the lord or keeping non-aristocratic clergy from becoming bishops were unfair restrictions in, the 18th, in 18th century France to whatever extent they were enforced before the revolution. But the French upheaval went well beyond addressing those grievances and resulted in turmoil and strife across the European continent. When the Heritage Foundation or Town Hall extols King as conservative, what they are saying is that King was one of them, a pro-capitalist advocate of a colorblind society. That kind of person was supposedly at the core of the good, moderate civil rights movement, as opposed to what that movement later became. Although King later fought with more radical civil rights activists, he and they agreed on lots of things, e.g. a socialist economies, special set-asides, and possibly reparations for blacks, and the evil racist character of America's past. Like Stacey Abrams, these civil rights organizers were especially interested in increasing the black vote because they recognized this would have a transformative effect on American politics. Look, and I'll get into election, the election with, with the Biden Republicans, but I said this before on this podcast. Democrats won Georgia. Now, Georgia's trying to do some things to stop some of the... Uh, the doors that open for fraud, but Democrats won Georgia. First of all, the Democrats in Georgia had really bad candidates, or the Republicans in Georgia had really bad candidates. Loeffner was one of the most idiotic candidates ever to be in the Senate. You listen to her speak, she sounds like a complete fool. She's terrible. There's no way. I mean, if it was an appointment, she wouldn't even be nominated. Uh, and because of that split, you know, she was able to go and run for the seat again. But I mean, come on, she's terrible. And the Democrats out-hustled the Republicans. They went around door-to-door. I mean, this is, again, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her whole, holy shoes. This is, this is what they're doing now. They're out-hustling the Republicans. They're out, they're, they're, they're out there getting people out to the polls or getting people to fill out ballots, ballot harvesting, whatever they can do. That's, with, in many cases, within the limits of the law that allows for a certain modicum of fraud, because it does. Um, they can, they're out-hustling Republicans. And so they're winning. And I think this is an important thing to note. Republicans don't really stand a chance this way. Godfrey continues, they were not wrong. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 tripled the black vote at a time when black voters were moving decidedly to the left. It changed the character of the American electorate and resulted in a large managerial state that has its reason de, de tra fighting discrimination, and inequality. These developments might have occurred without the civil rights revolution, but undoubtedly this upheaval accelerated the process. There's another compelling reason that the conservative movement misrepresents King and his intentions. This movement is really another name for the late-coming left. Among German historians, a debate has raged about why their country succumbed to Nazi rule when other European countries avoided such a grim fate. One theory concerns Germany as a late-arrived nation that was never comfortable 
with its identity and therefore prone to overcompensating, e.g. by yielding to a crazy nationalist demagogue. I always find it fascinating when people call Paul Gottfried all kinds of names. Here he just bashed the Nazis, right? But somehow he's some crazy guy on the alt-right. I mean, he's just bashing Nazis. Uh, praising King in some ways. I mean, he was just in the early part of the piece. I understand why King could be considered heroic. I mean, he's doing these things. Presumably a nation that developed over centuries. I mean, it's just, it's hilarious to me. I'm going to say this. It's hilarious that anybody, people are intellectually dishonest and stupid. This is why they do it. Uh, because they know that this is just bringing up, you know, brownie points and, and uh, it doesn't matter to them. Presumably a nation that developed over centuries rather than one that went through all the stages of national evolution in the late 19th century would have been less likely to strut around playing up its importance. Whether this theory has value for the study of Germany, it does explain the catch-up game engaged in by the conservative movement. Its spokespersons are always claiming positions that the left used to hold before it became more radical. We could just go back to this time of the civil rights movement. We could just go back to Lincoln. We could just go back to that. Everything would be good because they weren't as bad as these leftists. What they're not realizing is that that all opened the door to these leftists. Why would you even praise any of it? Thus, Con Inc. is now for gay marriage as an expression of family values, but not yet for transgendered restrooms. It's for second-wave feminism, but not yet for feminism in the more radical third-wave form. This practice of pouncing on one-time leftist positions and declaring them to be conservative ones has a negative side. It makes those engaged in this exercise both self-conscious and arrogant. They counterfactually insist that they are affirming eternal truths and that any deviation from them, particularly in the direction of what used to be the right, deserves to be severely punished. That way, one establishes one's own brand of the right as the only permissible one. On Fox News, much effort has been made to stage debates between paid leftist debating partners and exponents of approved conning positions. And this way, one can convey to millions of viewers what are the only acceptable views on the right and defend those views against the left and presumably against a more extreme right. So look at us. We're not, I mean, look, we're just the good guys. These people are so radical, but if you, we're just right in the middle. This is the robust Republican Party that Adam Schiff and Joe Biden want. This is Mitt Romney. It's John McCain. I mean, Tom Woods has a great statement. No matter who you vote for, Republican, you always get John McCain. Because that's what you get. You get this gradually moving line going further and further to the left. And what was once a leftist position now becomes the accepted conservative position. I mentioned when I was an undergraduate that the the Democrats were actually the real conservatives because what they were trying to do is conserve the revolution they started. Yes, they pushed the envelope, but they're always accepting of the, look, we want $15. All right, we'll uh, we'll give you 12. Okay. They still got a $5 increase in the minimum wage, did they not? And they can run around saying, we need more, we need more. And they always get it. Because the right will concede every single time. There's no line in the sand. There's no, there's no putting up the walls and saying, come get it. It's, all right, we'll, we'll do that. They don't ever concede. They don't ever say, okay, fine, we'll agree to no minimum wage increase. No, because it's the perpetual revolution. They can't. Their whole ideology is based on revolution. These would-be conservatives have also taken over a one-time leftist view of American history and turned it into their own conservative one. Although we used to be racist, sexist, and homophobic, America was supposedly founded on noble egalitarian ideas that are now being put into practice. 
The conservative establishment also praises earlier generations for having fought just wars to save the world from less democratic powers. Although we were politically flawed at the time that we waged these struggles, we were, as Alan Bloom insists in his best-selling The Closing of the American Mind, working to convert our adversaries to our democratic ideals and aspirations through a bloody educational experience. Kick in your door, take our democracy, and like it or you die. This is Lincolnian nationalism with a certain element of American imperialism put together. The conservative movement not only uh, insatiates where the uh, left was yesterday or the day before, it also depends on the left to recognize its status as the established opposition. This is why Fox News is filled with the paid leftist opposition and why media conservatives are invariably reaching out to the center left. The left validates its token opposition, whether or not the two sides are engaged in staged or real quarrels. Leftists, in any case, have no interest in dealing with a harder right. Neither does the conservative movement, other than to demonstrate as to what it has no intention of becoming. This movement thus becomes a series of late and obsolete incarnations of a left that has moved on to another more socially devastating cause. This is exactly right. I mean, you know, the idea that conservatism is, uh, you know, liberalism going the speed limit. I mean, that's been said many, many times. But it's true. Uh, And this has been going on since the 19th century. Look, I mean, uh, Dabney, the Southern theologian, pointed this out. Well, I mean, you do this, you're going to get this, you're going to get this, you're going to get this. I mean, he was pointing these things out. People knew it. They knew it was happening. They could see it, but yet they didn't want to stop it. Never has the observation of Robert Louis Dabney and the 19th century Southern conservative and Presbyterian divine seems so relevant. I just said this. American conservatism is a shadow that follows republicanism as it moves toward, forward towards perdition. It remains behind it, but never retards it and always advances it. End quote. Exactly right. Dabney is so important. That's why I have a whole class on Southern uh, cultural and intellectual history because you can't understand real American conservatism without understanding the South. And Dabney's saying, look, we're always just pushing it. It, We're going with it, just being dragged a little bit, but American conservatives will ultimately get there. We're now observing a form of American conservatism that is more than a shadow of radicalism. It's a movement that assigns a conservative label to itself while excluding those who have a more justifiable claim to the application. To the appellation, I'm sorry. Since the occupation of the Capitol building by overly emotional Trump supporters on January 6th, widely featured media conservatives have joined the left in treating this incident as a horrifying desecration. A desecration, quotations, because that's the American cathedral. That is the American secular religion. It would be, I mean, this would be like in the Middle Ages assaulting Notre Dame or St. Peter's Basilica. That's what it is. You can't do that. You can't do that. Since the okay, said so this. Although it was a clumsy action, that event pales in comparison with the rioting and destruction unleashed by the left last summer, which Democrats ran to excuse. Conning celebrates immediately. Celebrities immediately began calling upon Congress to impeach the outgoing president for supposedly inciting a mob to invade the Capitol. One of their spokesmen, Eric Erickson went so far as to urge the Capitol Police on January 6th to shoot the protesters. Just shoot them. 
I saw in Kentucky now, they just passed a bill which will allow police to shoot people who are protesting. I mean, this is the Boston Massacre. <laughs> this is what we're getting. People that are yelling at police can now be shot in Kentucky. We'll see what happens. Fox News anchors have also urged their followers to work towards bipartisanship with the incoming Biden administration, even while the administration is already working to cancel and even criminalize its opposition. In an interview with Martha McCollum on January 8th, Republican Congressman Steve Scalise complained that Trump was not clear enough in his denunciation of the Capitol rioters. Scalise cannot offer a similar complaint about the victorious Democrats regarding how they treated the riots and financed the financing excused. Joe and Kamala are still drooling over Black Lives Matter and won't even recognize Antifa as more than an idea. As the left moves towards ever more arbitrary behavior and consolidating his power, Con Inc. has moved from being a shadow or a later ride version of the left to becoming what it pretends to be opposing. This is especially true of those parts of the movement that have declared war on the populist right. John Zamerick, senior editor of the Christian commentary site The Stream refers to this group which joined the left in savaging Trump and which champions bipartisanship as the Vichy conservatives. This is an apt comparison of those defectors uh, to those Frenchmen who supported the Vichy government collaboration with the Nazi government after the fall of France in 1940. In the face of these defections, a younger generation of independent voices that can more legitimately identify as the right is rising. This new generation represents a more serious opposition to the left and in coming years, it may have the wind at its back. I don't know about that. I mean, I think he's being optimistic here. By the way, if you don't get Chronicles, you should. It's the one magazine you can get that will offer this kind of print magazine, offer this kind of commentary in the magazine. It's not all neocon, just Straussian nonsense. Chronicles still has it. And that's good. I mean, this is good. So you should get Chronicles. But back to his point about uh, the collaborators. I mean... These are the Girondin. I mean, these are who these people are. And they're going to be pushed aside. I mean, the left doesn't care. They're using them right now to gain, gain and maintain power because that's what it's really all about for the left. It's always about power for them, always. It's about power and what they can use do with that power, and that usually it's to enrich themselves and their supporters and scorn the rest. I mean, this is exactly what was going on in Rome. We're seeing it now. We've got we've got talks about creating essentially a modern American Praetorian Guard. We're going to have guards in the capital. This is what we got in Rome, Imperial Rome. We're at that point. This is because this is what always happens. We're at that point now. I think a lot of Americans if they actually weren't distracted, I think sometimes the social issues are a distraction for what's really happening in America. And I know these things are people are passionate about these things. We have real federalism. We wouldn't worry about it so much. We don't have real federalism, so everything is nationalized, and that creates a major problem for American politics. But I think this is a great essay. He does. Paul Gottfried does a fantastic job bringing these things out. I wanted to bring it to you. And we'll talk about Joe Biden, the Biden Republicans, in the next episode, uh, because that's going to be fun too. But hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. Get Chronicles Magazine. I'll have an article on a similar theme in an upcoming issue. You're going to want to read that. I'll see you next time. See you then.